Welcome back to the 4A Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Today, what we've got going on for you is chopping it up about a couple recent moves that have happened, some activities that have taken place around MLB, but mainly talking about the rule changes and how they're going to affect play in 2023. But with that said, how are we doing today, boys? I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk about the rule changes. A lot of baseball, big change. Moving forward, I'm happy. Stevs, how are we doing? Uh, I'm excited. We got a lot of news to actually talk about. There's a lot that happened over the past couple of days. And I mean, it, baseball is a very uh, ever-changing sport. So new things were bound to come. Uh, yeah, no, it should be exciting. You know, this season, a lot of big changes. Um, so, you know, it'd be exciting to talk about what's what's happening. Okay. So yesterday we got the news that Rafael Devers, got an extension from the Boston Red Sox, 11 years, $331 million. Does it feel too late? Yes, but at the same time, this was the exact move that we all speculated they needed to make in order to stay in it. And, you know, this is their Christmas gift. This is their Christmas wish. Yes, it is very late. It is very late. I mean, I think you're missing out on a dynasty here, but you're not necessarily losing out on everything now. I think you have some potential to go – decently far but this is not a team that's going to be making a, a big playoff push but it's not it's not the end of the world yet it feels so, like yes it is. so your question is like is it too late for the red Sox, or like too late like is it too late that they made this decision with rafael devers are the red Sox too far gone with having other players okay. leaving that yes. this when this extension occurred then the answer is definitely yes. I mean, they're trying to make up for it. They've made a bunch of signings. So, so yes, I mean, obviously they're too far gone. They, they signed uh, Kenley Jansen and uh, Yoshida, but like, I think, so I think they're trying to make up ground, but they don't really have anything else. And, but we, but Devers was the one big move they needed and it shows some sort of stability for the Red Sox. I agree with you in the sense that like, obviously they had to do it. Remember they didn't improve in any way by doing it. No, it's like the Yankees signing Aaron Judge for that big contract. They got him, but they didn't improve. Yeah, so, and it seems like it seems like Chain Bloom is 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 starting to make some movement. Um, I, I'm I'm kind of interested in what's going to happen. But this isn't just the same team. It's it's eleven years of Rafael Devers. So, I I don't know. I I think you're looking at a better team. I think it, I can agree with like the idea of a better team. But there's nothing else there. Like Bogarts is gone. Betts is gone. Benatendi has gone. Sales a shell of himself. Evaldi's gone. Like it feels too late where this money could have been allotted sooner to say a Bogarts, a Betts, a Benatendi. But now it's just going to one player and they still have to build around him. At least they do have the centerpiece to do that. Well, yeah, no, I, I do agree in that sense, but at the same time, I feel like since you're this far down the path, the other players are already gone. You had, you know, you had to do it, or else that money you could just say is wasted. I mean, even if you go out and get, you know, three, four players, you know, that equal that amount of money or whatever, it's it's still wasted that you let all of those guys go because you either didn't want to pay them or you know, traded them. Yeah, and obviously. I think this is an attempt at Heim Bloom putting his money where his mouth is. This is the biggest contract in Red Sox history. It's the highest total value, or sixth highest total value in MLB. It would be seventh if Correa. But honestly, I think that Rafael Devers signing, it's good for the Red Sox, but it doesn't change anything about them. Yeah, I think I think Devers is a good piece to work around, is to to build a team around. He's still fairly young, and I honestly think he's a generational talent. I mean, last season before he got that injury, he was batting what like three fifty through like three months of the season. Um, I think this is a guy who could continue hitting two hundred hits a season. He hits doubles. He's in he's in um Fenway, so he's going to keep hitting doubles. He's a big power threat. I think if he can figure out the other side of the field, which is defense, he you're looking at one of the best third basemen in baseball. I agree. And also, there's a couple other small moves that have taken place. Uh, the other day, the Orioles traded cash to the Royals in exchange for Ryan O'Hearn. But today, we found out that Ryan O'Hearn was designated for assignment, and they picked up Luan Diaz. Obviously, this is like small, inconsequential moves. This is probably like 25th, 26th man on the roster. It's still impact moves, but it's kind of confusing why they would pick up someone like Ryan O'Hearn if they're just going to drop him a couple days later. Yeah, I mean, 
not not many big splashes for them. Um, and you got you got Kyle Gibson, but I mean, not not a very active uh, offseason for the Orioles. Uh, you have to think they're going to start soon, but I guess this offseason wasn't the one they were ready to pull the trigger on yet. I think they were ready to pull it. I just think like their offers just weren't as big as people wanted. Like I think they really wanted Carlos Rodon. I think they just couldn't get a deal done with him, and he unfortunately went to the Yankees. I think, I think that they also might be looking to go the Braves route and like extending young talent. Maybe. Uh, they got to put some money there. And next year's free agent offensive class is really lacking comparing to this year. So if they lock up their stars, it's kind of an equivalent of a free agent signing. And if you can add some additional pieces, like some final pieces, I think it kind of excuses their lack of an offseason. I, I also think that Baltimore right now at this moment isn't that big of uh like an attraction you know to those teams quite yet like you know to the free agents you know like um the Dodgers or um the Mets Yan- you know Yankees you know those big teams and so I think when it comes to that if honestly if you give them the same money that let's just say the Mets gave to you know like Verlander or whatever like if you gave Verlander that as you know a Baltimore you know, like as an organization, he's gonna just he's gonna go to the Mets. You know, so you have to pay more than other teams. I don't know if they were really ready to spend that, especially with all those young players coming up. I think it's also just this offseason, all prices were overinflated. Um, obviously, the mar- market demanded some prices be a lot higher with like Andrew Benintendi being able to get seventy-five million dollars for five years, but you're still looking at overinflated prices. And that's not really what you want to go into when you're spending your first amount of money since really Chris Davis. Like you've been signing a couple of players for low AAVs over the past couple of years, but when you're committing to a long-term contract, you don't want to be splashing $177 million in Dansby Swanson as your first long-term signing. That's fair. Um, a couple other things, uh, Stebbs and Aiden. Uh, yeah, well, I'll talk about it. Uh, Nats acquired Dominic Smith to a one-year, uh, $2 million deal uh, with room, obviously, for more incentives and stuff like that. But honestly, I really like the move. He's kind of, he wants kind of a fresh start in Washington, kind of being our everyday first baseman. Is That's what their plan is, but or what his plan is. But I think he'll kind of do more of a rotational thing with, um, with Joey Manessa's kind of DH first base left field stuff like that kind of move him around but I think he kind of just wants that stability and I think it's a pretty cheap deal for a guy of Dominic Smith's caliber yeah and um I know that he has incentives to add two million more I don't think we know the incentives at the moment um but I mean for him it's a good deal to you know try and prove itself um prove himself you know we give him that one-year deal I like it just because it's a one-year deal what could go wrong I mean, um, worst case scenario, that's $2 million down the drain, but I mean, we're not spending money right now. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a, I, I don't want to say high risk, you know, not, not, uh, sorry, a high reward, like low risk, high reward type guy. And I mean, who knows, maybe if he goes out, hits 15, 20 home runs, um, you know, bats well, then, you know, we flip him at the deadline for assets. I mean, that's all we're looking to do right now. I also think he's a very good clubhouse guy. So I think he'll, he'll be kind of someone to help mentor some of the younger guys like CJ Abrams and Robert Hassel when he comes up. And yeah. I think with the Nationals offseason, like you have this whole thing that they are investing in the whole analytical process. If they're signing free agents for lower AVs that they think that they can develop in some terms of offense or pitching, A, Dom Smith is a guy that they could easily extend. And it's not going to be too expensive of a price. And also, it's not too expensive where they can't go splash in the reliever market or find cheap names that they can also try and work on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you can even get a shell of what he was in 2020, you're looking at a pretty good batter. I mean, this is not an expensive contract. I would pay $2 million for 15, 20 home runs. I mean, this is this is a good deal. And I think the fact that they're out doing stuff and they're being active, this is good for the Nationals as a, as a ball club in general. You know, they could be like some other teams that haven't done much in the offseason, but they're actually making moves. Yeah, they, they they didn't make like – I think like, I don't think you like, can compare them to like the Marlins or something who actually like signed a somewhat contract. But like it's better than the Brewers who literally have spent $0 in free agency. Rockies with the, head, with the cat, you know. Yeah, okay. I, 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 and compared to expectations too. The Marlins were expected to make big moves. They didn't do it. The Nats yeah. have nothing right now. Uh, and 
they won't have anything for a little bit. So this is this is good that they're making these moves to get them to that that the promised land, you know? Yeah. And so lastly, we found out something kind of interesting today about spring training. So the Rockies and the Royals are going to play an exhibition series in a Las Vegas ballpark where the Oakland AAA affiliate plays from March 18th to 19th, as well as the A's and the Reds actually playing there from March 4th to 5th. What do you guys think about this? This this looks like an experiment to me. I mean, just looking at it on the surface, it has to be an experiment. I mean, and it, it will. I think it will do well. Um, I watched a video yesterday. The Oakland Athletics are kind of a disaster right now. I mean, that's an understatement, actually. Um, I think we are approaching a move to Las Vegas, so this is probably an experiment. I mean, that was my Christmas wish for him. Get them out of get Oakland out of Oakland and move them to Las Vegas. Like, I think they think it's definitely, I mean, I don't even think they're trying to hide it. It's definitely kind of an experiment that they're doing right now. And I think it's definitely going to make it more prominent that they need to move a baseball team to Las Vegas. It's just such a good market. You have the AAA affiliate that's selling out almost all of their games. I think these, these four games are going to sell out. It's just, how is it going to be received? Because if you see that a lot of people show up and are supporting the Oakland Athletics, even though you wouldn't really expect Las Vegas people to be supporting the Athletics until they move there, or they're at least engaged with less competitive teams, then you definitely see it as an avenue for, hey, you know, we could really get something here if we move the A's here. And that also could be appealing to potential owners. And uh, I think you, you look at just other sports that move to Vegas and I mean, since those teams moved, those markets kind of erupted. Like, I mean, you look at Vegas, um, you know, the Golden Knights. I mean, they went over there and they've basically, I think, sold out like every single game. Um, and, you know, even even the Raiders. Um, but, yeah, I think I think it's, I've said it perfectly, it's going to happen. And I think this is just step one of it happening. Yeah, and there was actually, there was a three-day stretch in a row a three-day stretch in a row where the AAA affiliate sold more tickets than the Oakland Athletics, a professional ball club. And keep in mind that the capacity that this that this stadium in Las Vegas has is less than the Oakland Coliseums. It's actually it's quite impressive how how bad the ticket sales have been recently. So I don't know if 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 um Oakland is losing that much support, you know, with their fans because there's not that many there in the first place. I mean, the ballpark just sucks in general, so it's yeah. not helpful. I think that there's two avenues that needs to be addressed, though. Like, the Athletics are the last team left in Oakland. Golden State relocated across the bay, so it's not as bad. The Raiders are gone. It's just you can't lose everyone, and you don't want to be the mayor. I think they have a new mayor that lost all all three teams in four years. Like, that's horrible for the Oakland economy. And also, you could think about – some sort of swap obviously not the triple a team is going to go play in the coliseum but you send oakland to vegas triple a to oakland and you potentially use that stadium as a base for renovation yeah i like that idea actually i like that because you're not completely giving up there you still got support and just based on the ticket sales in oakland at the moment you would probably fill a minor league baseball stadium there you're going to need a renovation. I mean, Oakland's been trying for a new stadium for a decade and they have not gotten it yet. So it's, it's, it's beyond the team's success. And it's honestly has to do with whether people are willing to pay for a new stadium in Oakland. Um, so that's why I think they're going to move anyways. I mean, I mean, you look at it as soon as they leave, assuming they leave that stadium's going to get knocked down. I mean, you would, you would assume so. I mean, unless they want to do like, you know, like RFK and wait, forever for no purpose um you know it's gonna get knocked down so what do you do do you just build a triple i stadium on that site or like because you guys are saying that but i mean it's a triple a stadium you don't have to build in the middle of a city yeah and also like there's still the issue is if you rebuild in oakland a lot of the money is going to come from the city and there's still a chance to have the same ownership and if they still have the same ownership, it doesn't address any of the problems of their major league competitiveness. Yeah, because if they can't afford any of the players that they want to go after, how are they going to afford a stadium? And I think it has less to do with the fact that they don't have the money. I think it's their willingness to spend it. Um, but that's the yeah. same problem in itself. I mean, they're not going to spend the money if they don't have to, because that's just how Oakland works. 
Um, so I, I don't know. That's tough. I think it's going to, in my opinion, I think they're going to sell and then it's going to move. I don't think they're going to move because like Tom just said, the money, I mean, how do you not pay for the players and then pay for a whole new team? Like technically. Yeah. So with that, there was only one final move that took place. Uh, the end of the Mike Moustakis era in Cincinnati, they paid him $64 million and he produced negative 1.8 baseball reference war. Um, I'm not, I don't have the numbers up or anything in front of me, but that has to be down there for worst dollar per war in history. Um, obviously like Mike Moustakis, he was one of those Royals that obviously they went to the world series. They won it the second time around and they didn't really amount to much after that. They're a Cosmer contract, Lorenzo Cain. You're just seeing a bunch of guys that had average to below average careers after that world series run. So in a sense, it's kind of like the end of an era for that Royals team. Like it's kind of really over, but I don't think there's much past that. Yeah. I think this is actually the biggest contract in, in Reds history or, so, or like the biggest AAV in Reds history. And mm. it, it has not worked well for them. No. Um, but there's no way they could have known that because Mike Moustakas was producing as a second baseman. So it, it, yeah. Yeah. And so with that, I think it's time that we move on to the new rules. So back in the archaic days of the lockout, I know a long time ago, it's only a year. There were so many things that were thrown around. Obviously, a lot of it was negotiating terms between this, uh, the owners and the Players Association. But one of the things that the players and somewhat the owners were pushing for were some changes to the pace of play and trying to make the game better and more viewable in order to grow the fan base. With that, over the past couple of seasons, even prior to the CBA expiring, they've been testing things in the minor leagues, such as a pitch clock. So what this would do is it decreases the amount of time that a pitcher has to throw a pitch. With 15 seconds, if no one's on base, they have to start their motion. So at the 15th second, if you're in your motion, you're fine. And it goes to 20 seconds with a runner on base. It also limits the amount of time that you can pick off. What do you guys initially think about this? Um... I, I, there's two ways you can look at it. I mean, there's the two sides of the argument. I, I think that a pitch clock is great for the sport of baseball in general. Um, I mean, diehard fans of the sport could watch it all day like me, but it's kind of crucial to, to grow beyond just those diehard fans. And I think a lot of the younger generation, uh, which has a shorter attention span like myself as well, um, need kind of more faster paced action in major leagues. Um, but with that said, I know you have that statistic with stolen base percentage increasing. Um, so that 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 pickoff limit rule seems a little bit a little bit sketchy to me. I, I was I was gonna point that out that if you like you know once you hit your limit, I mean what they can basically take the base for free. You know I f I feel like that's a kind of a big question mark because you won't be able to pick off. Or if they start running, then you can throw? So the way it works is you have two pickoffs, and that's fine. You can attempt a third pickoff, but if you don't get him out, it's counted as a balk, and they automatically get the okay. next base. Okay. Um, And obviously, like, there is going to be some arguments about, like, the, the competency of pickoff moves. Because recently, they've kind of just been, like, step off, load your arm lob the ball over so we might see the skill of picking off come back where people are actually trying to get batters out or to get runners out but i think it's also going to bring back a stolen base like i i enjoy stolen bases it brings an element to a game that we haven't seen really in like 10 years and it also gives the a's an ounce of credit for getting estuaries but that's besides the point um but really what it does the goal of it is to increase the speed of the game and it overall in the minor leagues over the past three seasons, it has decreased the amount of time a game has taken by 26 minutes. That's putting the average MLB game under three hours, which I think is ridiculously marketable compared to a three and a half hour baseball game that doesn't have much implications. Yeah, this is a business. I mean, you have to satisfy a lot of people to grow as a business. Um, so, I mean, I, I was looking at a survey 
uh, it was done in May 2022 to see levels of interest in different age groups. Um, of those different age groups, there was a massive increase in interest in ages 45 and above. So that younger age group is lacking. Um, that youngest age group, 18 to 34, the age range, uh, was pulling in the least amount of fans. So I think the MLB as a whole has to target that younger age group. And I think it comes with those web gems, those stolen bases, the, the general offensive production and speed of the game kind of drawing that younger crowd. So Brad, you got it. What are you guys saying? Yeah, I was just going to say that you look at our generation because we're we're in the target market now. We are in that 18 to 34. And we have, I think, some of it's credit social media. Like we like things to be more high-paced, less slow and meticulous. And when there's going to be constant action in MLB, it almost makes it more – it makes it seem faster paced than something like football. Football, there's at least – 25 seconds sometimes it goes more than 40 seconds between every play with baseball if you're getting it under if you're getting to 15 seconds and under between every single pitch you're paying attention to it it's easy to focus in on a six pitch at bat that only takes a minute and 30 seconds like i think it takes a lot a lot less attention that you have to put into an at bat that's true that's what you got uh, well, for me, like, I think so. I think it's a really good thing for the state of baseball that we're in right now. I definitely think overall, I think it's just something we're gonna have to get used to, right? Like the like the pass interference calls or the the uh, roughing the passer calls kind of have like changed over the course of the NFL right in the past decade or so. And we've all just kind of gotten used to it. we've gotten used to the soft kind of if you touch the quarterback after they throw the ball, then it's a it's a pat or a roughing the passer, right? You just, it's something we're gonna have to get used to, but I think overall it's really gonna help the MLB and just kind of um, it'll bring more people to this sport in general. And because like my girlfriend's not really into uh, like baseball at all, but and that's because she has a short attention span. But if it was faster paced like this, she would get into it more. Yeah, I I'm. Uh, you know, I was just saying and just thinking, you look at the other major sports, you know, you have um, basketball is one of, you know, one of the leading sports in America. And I think that's just because if you look at it, there's something always happening. And I think that's what the MLB, right? I know, Tom, you keep on saying baseball has to do something to get them, you know, it, more into it, um, especially, you know, with the kids coming up. And I think that the fact that when you go in, and now something's going to be happening every 15 seconds is huge, you know, instead of waiting around and just tossing it because that that can lose a lot of people right there. If you're just tossing it to first base three times because the runner on first is, you know, fast and you want to. OK, but that's I get, you know, that's what you're doing to win. But for the people watching, it just gets boring. So I think this is a major step in the right direction. And I think if they keep on doing this, then, you know, you eventually hit this. I guess you say stardom and. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. And let me let me let me give the counter argument and let me let me see what you guys think. Um these batters and pitchers, they have this, you know, sweet time in between pitches. Um and I read that it's not all for nothing. It's not just to stall the game. It's this this quote mental battle between the batter and the pitcher. And it and that that shortened time might also like kind of ruin that in a sense. Um, other arguments are like that shortened time might also add fatigue to pitchers. Some people even suggest that the pitch clock would like result in like generally worse performances. Um, so do you think there is a trade-off or do you think it's just all in their heads? I disagree with the less fatigue statement for pitchers or the increased fatigue, excuse me. Um, I think that if pitchers are done with their outings 20 minutes before they normally would be, and you routinely get home 20 to 40 minutes earlier than you would in a normal season, it's more sleep and more time for the body to recover. And honestly, that may seem inconsequential in April through June, but every extra step that you could have taken to heal yourself and let your body recover in the initial months of the season is only going to help you when you go through the dog days of August and September. I disagree with the sleep aspect, but the in-between innings, you know, when the pitcher is on the side of the hitting team in that, in that other half of the inning, that being sped up would definitely help the most. I think, you know, having a shorter second half of the inning to go back out sooner 
would almost be better because that rest time can cause tightness. So I think that's good. I think overall, I I mean, I think so there's two like you're trading off, right? You're going to be you're going to get to go home early and do your your arm rest that you in arm care that you need after your outing. But you also need to take into account that in between each pitch, they're not going to have as much time to let their arm kind of reload and for that next pitch and just I think it's going to add a different aspect of strategy, right? So you have to kind of go out there with a plan in mind overall before that at bat instead of like, oh, it's a 2-1 count. I'm going to go with this pitch. You kind of have to be like, you know, in a 2-1 count going into this at bat, you're most likely going to go with this pitch. That That's kind of, it's going to change how how the matchups come at each other opposed to uh, how it was before. Uh, and you bring this up that pitchers are they like the way they do things you know they have a routine and i think to begin the season but correct me maybe if i'm wrong or something i think at the beginning of the season the pitchers are going to struggle a little bit uh, with getting the 15 seconds i and it's going to be swing training is going to help i think a lot but you know that 15 seconds that you have to hey you got to get the ball you got to get focusing quick and you know start going you know instead of that what 30 40 seconds that they might have had i don't think the infractions are going to be too bad because they are going to have that spring training as you said to make that adjustment but these are also professional athletes like they can adjust when they need to and it's also it's not going to play an impact for the pitcher say a pitcher works 20 seconds like per pitch that's an easy adjustment besides like a Kenley Jansen who works like 32 seconds between pitches. But like, obviously I think someone like him is going to struggle a lot more, but if you look at someone that just works quickly, like get on the mound, fire, get on the mound, fire, get on the mound, fire, like an Alec Manoa type, then it's going to be a lot easier. It's going to be a lot easier for someone like Alec Manoa to adjust than someone like Kenley Jansen, especially someone who's seasoned into it. Like I would almost argue that it'd be better to have like a grandfathered in system for someone like Kenley Jansen or these like 10 year veterans who have been pitching how they have and succeeding or not succeeding for some people in that sense, where they're able to finish their careers going that way. If you have more than 10 years or something like that in the league, but obviously that opens the door for disputes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that makes sense. And it's, it's the timer stops as soon as you make a move, correct? Like, as, like, cause what about somebody like Nestor Cortez who, you know, sometimes does those long, you know, uh, things, how are they going to fix that? Or is that just going to be his, you know, so, I mean, it doesn't make, it's not going to make a difference. Cause think about it. He's still engaged with the batter. It's still action going on. Yeah. Cause as, as long as he's moved and there isn't a disengagement or something, then he's fine. Then he's fine. Okay. Because yeah, it's still right. action that's going on. Because you can you can be entertained by a Nestor Cortez motion. Because yeah. like you have to think about it. The point of the pitch clock is to increase viewership and make baseball more engaging. And obviously, that's why I think I'm heavily in favor of it. The games go faster. It's I'm a West Coast fan, and I live on the East Coast. It's difficult to watch Dodger games some, some nights because they start at 11. Honestly... I can watch four or five innings of a game now as opposed to two or three, and sometimes not even that much. And honestly, I think it's going to make stolen bases more of a thing, and that's very interesting. And that has potential to grow the game because what's exciting? Uh, a pitcher picking off twice, like non-effort, then taking 15 seconds, then getting on the rubber, then taking 20 more seconds and delivering a pitch, or 15, 20 seconds in between each pitch, with the threat of a base dealer going because you've seen it happen over and over again more frequently. Yeah, I mean, the art of stealing a base has been kind of lost in this time now. So I think I think if we can bring that back, I know analytics say that stealing bases is not that efficient or worth it anymore, but maybe with this new change, it would be worth it, you know? And especially with the one top 5% of guys, I think we're going to see an increase. Yeah, and I think... Stabs, you brought up the point where there's less of the mental battle, like because there's less time. So it's you don't have the time to think, oh, 2 1, I'm looking this or I'm going to throw this. But I also think it does a good job of taking paper out of baseball. I think it puts it a lot better in the hands of the catcher, the pitcher, and the batter. I think it's you get into that 2 1 situation and you have the second to think, look at your card. This is before the pitch clock that, oh, 
he throws his slider 73% of the time in a 2-1 count. You go up there 2-1, and you're like, I think this guy throws a slider a lot. I'm going to sit on a fastball. If I get a slider, I'm going to take it. I think it brings a lot of that back into it more than just willy-nilly swinging. Yeah, exactly. But it also and it brings a lot of thought back into the pitcher's head, not just, oh, this is what the analytics say is best in this count. I actually have to use my best stuff here. Yeah, I also think it's what, eight, I think we said eight seconds before they have to, the batter has to step into the, step, step into the box, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that also makes the third base coach, could you almost say like, I'm not going to say like irrelevant, but you know, he either has to be quicker or you just have to leave it up to the batter at that point. No, it just has to be quicker. Huh. Um, And then I just, the one thing I don't like about the pitch clock is like game five of the American League Division Series. It's the eighth inning. There's runners on second and third. There's no none of that suspense of here's the pitcher getting his sign and he comes set. One, two. <clears throat> There's none of like that hype behind it I, do you guys get that sense of like it's just going to be much more rapid fire and there's not going to be as much of a built-in suspense i i i like that point and i think that might be a change i mean this is obviously experimental this is the mlb is being experimental here we're testing new things out and if we find that there is something better then we're going to move to and i think in those high intense moments you know because no one's going to watch want to watch a second inning guy pitch with like 30 seconds in between each pitch but like you said um later in the games especially in these these really high tension games that's that's important that's really good to build suspense and that's good for viewership as well and that's the number one thing they're worried about right now 100 percent. so I, I think maybe considering down the line a postseason pitch timer that's different but would that kind of throw off the the rhythm of the game compared to the games before you know what i'm saying because you're working at a different pace yeah yeah, yeah, I think that'd just be challenging because if you move from 15 seconds in the regular season to 20 seconds in the postseason, it's kind of going to mess with some people. I think the trade-off is worth it. Um, so you you say that right, but then you think back to like, so if you're in those high intense moments and you know the pitch is coming at like five, four, three, two, right? It's kind of like the like the t- time expiring at like an NBA game. Like you know the time is, and you take that buzzer beater shot it's kind of going to create like maybe if you do get that pitch off, like it's, it's coming down and you throw the pitch, right. And the, t- as time expires, you throw the pitch or whatever, like it's going to create that type of buzzer beater type scenario from a pitcher's or a hitter's perspective. I kind of get where you're going with that. Yeah. And so the next big adjustment that's being made is the shift restriction. So basically what's going on is they're saying that, all four infielders need to be touching infield grass or infield dirt when the pitch is thrown. And you have to have two people on each side of second base. You can't have like, say you have Justin Turner going into right field repeatedly in game four of the world series in 2020. Cause that only happened 18 times. You can't have that anymore. You have to set your lineup before an inning. Cause you can move Justin Turner to second for that inning, but then you also have to move your second baseman to third for that inning. So what this does is it brings back BABIP, pretty much. It's just meant to increase the amount of balls in play with the likelihood of getting a hit. Because you know how many times that you've seen one of your best hitters get a line drive up the middle, and it's just a routine ground ball to someone sitting right there, and it's frustrating. Do you guys Are you guys in support of the, stri- the shift restriction? Uh, I'm I'm in support of it, but I can also see the other side of it like i think it'll be good because it'll it'll give the game more action in my opinion you know getting more hits is more fun for the audience i mean unless you love pitching um so i think it'll bring more excitement which is i think this whole like you know just the whole changes in general um but i can also see that you know it's it's getting rid of a big thing in baseball which is you know the shift that's always been in the game uh for me it's more of uh like i dislike it from the aspect that it feels like they're taking away kind of the strategy of baseball which they've already done by getting rid of or the universal dh but from the aspect of a growing business it makes more sense right because again they do want more action they do want more offense overall so i like it from that perspective so you said but i want to clarify one thing you said that they're the four infielders must have must be touching dirt 
does that mean their whole foot must be touching dirt or if their toe is on the dirt does that count they have to be within the outer boundary of the infield so that means their whole foot has to be enclosed by the infield dirt okay or in like roger roger center situations like it has to be like within the chalk or whatever okay uh i think i don't think i have to look at stats to say this i I think we should see a noticeable if not significant increase in batting average because of this um i at least i mean because brad you talk about batting average bad bit batting average with balls in play um it more balls are going to drop more balls going to go up the middle those pull hitters who are going to yank ball who are going to yank um like between first and second or between shortstop and third those pull hitters will have more of an advantage now um and like uh, like Stebbs and Aiden have mentioned, offense gets views. It gets it gets views, and it's better for baseball as compared to defense. Um, you know, defense is an art for me, at least. I love watching defense, but a lot of fans don't appreciate it as much. So I think that kind of banning the shift will kind of eliminate a slight aspect of defense while also just ballooning the offense, just making it grow exponentially. So. I kind of have one argument against the BABIP is that BABIP is an extremely high variant situation. So it can happen where one season you have a 268 BABIP and the next season you're at 338. Sometimes it's random chance. And I don't think the shift not happening takes away random chance. I think that there's going to be situations where the balls will now go through, especially for those lefty pull hitters. But I don't think it completely diminishes the random ability of BABIP. And there's also the idea of that you can put the shortstop two feet to the left of second base, and he's still on the other side of second base. You just can't be on the right side, and you can't have him touching the outfield grass because you can still set up a new form of shift. It just can't be the same type of shift it was last year. And I I think we're going to see that actually a lot where where – you know, teams are right like next to the bag, but they're basically up the middle. Um, so you know, it <laughs> it'll it, it'll be interesting to see what teams do that and what teams who actually just you know stay on you know ten feet away from the bag. But Tom, go ahead. And you mentioned you mentioned like not a big difference, Brad. But the the reason that the teams would shift in the first place was because statistically these batters were more likely to pull. Um, so. Without that, without that, that there's a because there's a reason for everything that they do. And there was a strategic part of baseball that is now not in the game anymore. So if they are statistically more likely to pull the ball, then having two defenders on that side of the infield will will obviously um, lead to more hits. So I think it won't be like this massive increase, but it will definitely be noticeable. Like I, I think we'll definitely see a big increase, especially in those pull hitters. I'm going to say, like, at most, like, a five-point increase in league batting average because there's still the fact that they have to hit the ball. A lot of Babbitt variances account for, like, stray fly balls, weekly hit line drives, or just line drives that land in front of an outfielder, right? You have, like, obviously, over the past couple years, the deep line drive into right field that one hops a second baseman, that's gone. Like, thankfully, that's gone because that should not be an out. But... There's still going to be the situation of the ground ball up the middle getting fielded by the shortstop who's positioned one foot to the left of second base. It's just going to be the hard hit balls are going to get more rewarded. And I don't think that the soft hit balls are going to be as rewarded because normally those soft hit balls that landed were in situations where players were not where they normally would be. Okay. I'm just kind of curious what you guys think on this. What do you think? Who do you think is like the top three, if not like top one batter that will kind of benefit from this shift ban i mean i know the answer to the situation like yeah Seager. it's Corey seager kyle schwerber and anthony rizzo and probably joey galley you could probably I include one soto joey too Gallo. but i mean yeah like a lot you gotta of make contact be first though yeah I yeah I, I feel like i feel like <laughs> soto is gonna be a big one um doesn't he hit he i mean he pulls obviously but he hits oh. it like up the middle a lot too no the issue yeah. with soto last year was that his babbit was just ridiculously low yeah, because he popped up a lot. Yeah, um, that's yeah. that's an adjustment that he can make next season. I honestly predict that it'll be a lot better next year. Oh, 100. I, I think like, it was just yeah. a change. Everything was, was Soto was pointed in like he was very good last year. He just got yeah. screwed by Babbitt. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and that's that's an above average season for anyone else except for Juan Soto. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that you're gonna you're gonna see again next year that he is still Juan Soto. So. Yeah. 
miss him. Yeah. So lastly, we've kind of touched on the whole stolen base. It's coming back. They're increasing the base size. And honestly, this isn't going to change the game that much. But basically, they used to be 15-inch squares, but now they'll be 18-inch squares. Home plate, it obviously stays the same. It's a it's a plate. Um, it's going to have a small impact on stolen base success rate, but the goal of it is to give more room for players to operate and avoid like those finger-smushing, knee-destroying knee collisions. And it also eliminates a fielder's leg blocking the full base. And I'd like that. I don't like when a fielder can just block a base entirely. Do you guys like this? That's a point that I haven't thought about yet. Um, Cause I didn't think it was that significant of a change, but yes, I think, I think blocking a base is kind of an aspect of defense that will be changed pretty significantly by this move. So, I mean, man, I'm just trying to think what are those situations looking like? Is it the pickoff moves? Is it like a close play at third or what, 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 what do you mean? Bases, pick off like while like um blocking yeah while base. blocking bases. Oh, like sliding into third when going for a triple, ste- yeah. stealing second. Yeah, and on the note of stealing second, right? Think about the bang bang plays last year, like where they were two inches from being safe. Right now they're safe. Like it gets rid of like the complete bang bang play of last year, and now there's gonna be a whole new type of it where some. Some bang bang plays last year are now stolen bases, and that's going to overall boost again stolen bases, which again is good for baseball. I I was going to ask, what do you think the uh, difference? Because three inches is a lot, but I, <laughs> like running from like home to first, what's the like? What do you think the speed difference is going to be? You know, like it won't. Because you don't think it'll the, be that big? The front of the base will be at 90 feet. It's the base is okay, like... Okay, it's backwards. So, yeah, so yeah, like okay, if yeah. this piece of paper yeah. is the base and this is the baseline, Yeah, the base is it's growing just, yeah, it's just this growing, way. Yeah. But like yeah. plays that second will be more, you know, I feel like... They'll be a little like bit closer. More, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so again, I love stolen bases. Like Ricky Henderson was like extremely fun to watch and i think this will really help guys like trey turner or 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 players of that caliber that are just speed threats um and i do like it from the aspect that like because like there there was a i feel like i don't know i don't know the stat on this but i feel like there's a lot of like increase in like injuries at first base and stuff like that so i think that's really gonna help my big thing with this is like how is it because like a lot of the players have been hitting like some of the the middle of first base and stuff like that hadn't have been overextending their leg like harper did back i think in 2018 or something like that um so i think do you guys think that's going to help them from that aspect too i don't think it's going to help them from stepping in the middle of the base i think that was just poor base running but i think it's going to help with like the collisions the blocking of bases getting people getting spiked I was I gonna think, say I think it helps the first base, you know, it helps the first base, you know, first baseman's health more than you know. I feel like base running, you know. Yeah. Also, on the note of first base, you have those situations where a first baseman's foot, they're going for a ball, and it ends up in the middle of the base, and the runner steps on their heel. It gives more space to prevent that from happening. Now, I think yeah. that's really important for the safety of the first baseman and obviously the runner. It like if it goes in the other direction. But something I'm thinking of right now, right? Because think about it. First base is going to be a little bit closer to second base. And in in that exchange and closer to the second baseman, shortstop and third base. Bang, bang plays once again actually will now go in favor of the fielders. Because the times when the ball was two inches away from the first baseman's glove last year, it's now in the glove. So people with better arms and even a little bit worse arms, actually the people with worse arms are getting a little bit more rewarded because they're going to have a little bit more time for error on their throws. Cause even if they're not traveling as fast, the distance is slightly shorter and that can make a real difference in some people's throwing ability. So there's, there's a four and a half inch reduction between first and second and second and third. Right. So if, do you think there's going to, I know you kind of spoke on this a little bit earlier. Do you think there will be more stolen bases like happening 
Yes. Like, I, I especially so. with like this, like I'm the slower, you know, people obviously who do, who don't have elite speed, but have the speed that they couldn't really steal that many last year. Like stolen bases will be up a lot this coming up year. I, I don't know about do- this season. I think I think over time we'll see an increase within the next couple of seasons. I don't think they're going to be astronomically different from last year and in coming into this this year. But I think going to like from this year to next year and the following year, like you'll see a steady rise over time. Yeah, and I think there are plenty of uh, players capable of stealing bases, stealing bases at an elite level too. Um, it's more of just how teams and ball clubs want to approach this you know there are teams like the um like the marlins who are very happy to steal bases um and there are other teams that don't steal at all so it's kind of dependent on whether the 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 ball club actually wants to steal bags and i think with the new change i think we're going to see a lot more of that um but i think it's less of a problem of the players having the talent to steal bases and more of the organization not wanting to steal in the first place i agree with that point and to answer Aiden's question, I think it's going to be a lot of the people who are already getting stolen bases are going to get more stolen bases. And I don't think like the ca- – I could see the casual base runner getting a few more stolen bases than normal, like the smart base runners. But I still don't think the slow base runners are going to be stealing bases. Well, yeah, obviously, you know, you're not going to see you – know, you know the the catcher you know steal 30 you know 30 bases it's not i mean it's, i'm not saying it's going to be like a uh two foot difference you know it's still going to be no, hard no, no. to steal but I, I know, that's not what i'm taking what you're saying is i'm saying yeah. that the 15 stolen base stealer in 2022 is going to steal 20 next season no. i'm also on thomas point with the marlins taking a lot of bases i think this is really going to give a new strategy to worse offenses because the stolen base opportunity is a little bit more prevalent. So a team like the Marlins, who may struggle in the slugging department, are going to be able to get that runner from first to second a little bit easier. And hopefully, if they're putting the ball in play, have that opportunity to drive those runs in in a situation where they wouldn't really be able to drive people in from first base. Yeah, I, I like that point. Honestly, when I think of the biggest, the best slugging teams in baseball, you kind of think like the Yankees, the Dodgers. They aren't necessarily the fastest lineups out there. So maybe this was an attempt to kind of balance, do you think? Do you think it was an adjustment to to the yeah. baseball in general? I don't think it was trying to. I don't think the goal of decreasing the size of the bases was anything other than improving safety. No. Yeah. I think a consequence of it is that there might be a little bit more of offensive balance across the league. I don't think at any point they would be trying to balance the, the playing field of offense for teams, especially those that are taking. Yeah, and I think the own you know the the league didn't really think about the offenses balancing. Like I don't really think that was like a negative. You know, you bring up the safety problem. Um, you know that they have now hopefully fixed and i don't think you know somebody said okay well now we're balancing it out and that was a negative you know i think that's almost like a i guess you could say a positive um you know so it's kind of like two positives but you know like brad said the main thing here they have fixed hopefully i mean we have to see this season but it you know based off all the rules it should you know be fixed yeah and so like be killing two yeah go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say looking at last year right like you wouldn't consider Miami to be power hitters. You wouldn't be considering Cleveland to be power hitters. You wouldn't consider the Cubs or the Diamondbacks or the Royals. Those were two through six or two through five because there's two fives. Those were two of the top six teams in the league in stolen bases. These aren't the power hitting teams and they stole bases to work on their offense. Obviously, for some of these teams, it didn't really improve their ability to win games, but it's still an attempt at increasing their offense, which is exactly what they would need. Yeah, I think it just depends how you build your team up. And I it might be a coincidence that the bottom few teams are speedy teams. They're very fast. But at the same time, with that power and slugging, you do get bigger and you do get slower probably. Um, so maybe maybe this is a bit of a like killing two birds with one stone type thing, because you're 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 increasing the safety while also trying to balance out the game. Um, I think there's still an argument for the power hitter stealing bases because look at the bottom five right boston san diego detroit colorado and minnesota those weren't like in like they weren't huge sluggers maybe outside of boston 
and San Diego. Like you think there's going to be some speed on a team like that, but it just shows that it's not in their style of play. But Colorado, Detroit, and Minnesota, they were a lot smaller overall and less power hitting as a team. And they weren't they weren't stealing bases as much. But a team like the Yankees, who led the league, the Dodgers, who are always up there, they're they're seventh and ninth respectively. I don't think you can point at a team and be like, you have power hitters, you're not going to steal bases. You have small players with less power, they're going to steal bases. I think there's going to be variety. And I think that's why having a diverse roster is going to be a lot more beneficial today than in 2022. I think that's good for baseball in general. So I do like that point. I think overall, all of these, all of these changes are good for baseball. It's just whether like the old heads are really going to be upset about it because they're changing the game too much and stuff like but that. I, I think I, from a marketing perspective, it, they are good for baseball. I, I hate to say it. Right now, the MLB is not looking at the old heads. Yeah, they're not. You, which you is know, the the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're, they're just trying, you know, trying to get the youth involved. And I think everything that they did will help the youth and help the game of baseball right now. Um, and I think every single move that they've done has has been a success so far exactly evolution is crucial to growing sports and in in general i think the game any game any sport it evolves over time if it stayed the same you would lose your fan base so the game of baseball evolving with the age evolving now is is going to be good for baseball and the adjustments that we're making are are going to be beneficial i think i agree obviously you want to stay with the times with the media and every attempt that baseball makes to grow with the media and with how we receive information and watch as fans is important for its growth. We want baseball to grow because we love baseball. Thank you all for listening to the 4A podcast. We'll be back next week with two new episodes. If you want to interact with us at all, be sure to follow us on Twitter or TikTok. We will also be uploading shorts from this episode to our YouTube page. All social media links are down below. If you've enjoyed, please consider leaving a rating or if you have any suggestions, share this with a friend. We will see you all next time on the 4A Baseball Podcast. Peace.